This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen and amen. You know, we've been in, uh, if you are newer with us, we've been in a season of just seeking and soaking and pressing a time of just uh, just relying on the presence of the Lord, just soaking within his presence, knocking, crying, asking, you know, just longing for a touch from the Lord. And hasn't it been special for those that have been here? Just a powerful, powerful time. And, and uh, we, uh, we have just made room for that. Normally we would have two services on a Sunday morning here at our Fort Lauderdale campus. But over the last number of weeks, we went down to one service from our revival. And from that, we've just continued just to spend a little bit more time with the Lord in our service. We know that we do that privately. We have private devotions. We have nights of worship and revival nights that we call nights ablaze. But just to bring it in week after week after week. And it's been such a great sense of the presence of God. As a pastor, we've been praying and seeking and just uh, asking the Lord, what would he have us to do as we move forward? Because we had said that we were going to do it through the month of August. But I just sense that God wants a little bit more of this. And so we're going to extend this. And um, thank you for that confirmation. And uh and I have to be honest, it goes against, and, and I'm the one that's written a book about it. I travel and teach pastors about it. But it goes against all church growth logic to have just one service. And, uh, and, and yet, I know it's what God wants. I know it's what the Lord has for us. So thank you for that affirmation. And you may say, Pastor, how long? And I have a phrase my staff knows, and it's for this next season. And I don't know what a season will look like. It'd be shorter or longer. But for this next season, this is what we're going to do. So thank you for your patience. Amen. And, um, and as a part of that, times of prayer, worship, altar, ministry, uh, in the word. We don't want to abuse your time, but we want to give God room. And uh, we want our time to be his time. And so that's what we're doing. You know, when we're seeking the Lord in revival and we're spending time like this with the Lord, you know, God responds to the hunger of his people. When there is hunger and expectation, it invites the presence of the Lord. And we felt that today. We felt that God's presence is, is here and he's among us. Last week we said that Paul's focus was always upward and outward. It was never inward. It was always, God, I want to touch you. And as I touch you, there is a flow from him, from the presence of God to touch those. God, knocking, asking, seeking, you know, longing, waiting, soaking, and just desiring more of God. And revival is always for the church. Revival is for you and me as believers. It's, it's something that God does within us. The problem for the church, you and I, is that in seasons of revival, where we're crying, knocking, seeking, asking, soaking, waiting, we're laying our prayers before the Lord, we can get impatient in the tension of crying out in revival and waiting for the response of God. Because in those moments, we want God to move now. We want it now, and we want God to respond now. But it's in that tension of waiting, that time of seeking, knocking, <coughs> excuse me, and, and just longing for the Lord. I'm, I don't have COVID, so. You do know that we coughed before COVID, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to say it. <laughs> I saw the whole first row kind of lean back, you know. <laughs> Those that were at home are saying, I'm glad I'm at home today, you know. I won't go to the lobby just to make you safe. But it's in that time of seeking that you know what happens for you and I is that we, we learn to walk in obedience. It's in that tension of soaking, knocking, asking, crying that we learn to walk in obedience, and it's our obedience with hunger and expectation that brings the manifestation of the Lord. Now, consistency is always my choice. Pressing on is always my choice. It's always a choice that I make. Last week, I shared 
I shared this scripture with you in Philippians, and we're in the book of Philippians. And I want to just review for a moment Philippians 1. Paul says, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner what worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't forget that you're a Christ follower. Don't forget that you have the character of Christ. Don't forget who you are in Christ, regardless of what's happening around you. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whenever I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, he says, I will know that you have what? That you are standing firm. No matter what's happening, you're standing firm. What that means last week is we said you will not give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't give up. I will know that you will stand firm, that you will not give up in one spirit, standing firm together. And Man, we're going to need this church. We're going to need to stand firm together. It's not just alone in your family, isolated. You're going to need one another. We're going to need each other. And he says, stand firm, knowing that you're standing in one spirit. Then he said, contending, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Man, we said last week, you're contending for the faith. What is contending for the faith is not only are you not giving in, but you're not giving up, but you're not giving in. You're not giving in to your convictions. You're not giving in to your faith and what God has called you to be. You're standing firm, contending for the faith of the gospel. And then he goes on to say, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. What he was saying, we said it last week, is be fearless, be courageous, and don't shrink back. Now, what I love about revival is that's what happens in revival. In revival, our hearts make a choice that we're not giving in. Our hearts make a choice that we're not giving in. Our hearts make a choice that we're not shrinking back, that we're rising up with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be fearless and courageous for the King of Kings. And so last week we said that we're choosing joy. Amen? How many said that at least once this week? I choose joy. Made a hospital visit this week, and, and I was walking through, and I found, uh, ran into a couple of our, our members that were working in the hospital that day, and they said, Pastor, I'm choosing joy. I'm choosing joy. <laughs> and every now and then, we just have to remind ourselves, I choose joy. Because the world around us wants to squeeze out the joy of the Lord, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's in the joy of the Lord that we are strong and our faith becomes strong. Can I get an amen in the house? Now, in chapter 1, Paul ends, uh, and he doesn't really end because we know it's one letter, but Paul has a way of, of just kind of, um, you know, he, he's not a linear teacher or a linear speaker. He'll hit a topic and then go to another topic, then he'll come back to another topic, and he'll come back to the same topic. And that's how Paul would write and teach. And so I need to skip chapter 2 and move over to chapter 3 so I can link his two thoughts together. Is that okay? We're going to come back to chapter 2, but I want to stay on the same thought that he's running with out of the end of chapter 1, and that is today he was saying that we choose joy because we have a hope in eternity. And now I want to pick up that thought that he, he kind of put a comma on, and then he went to some other stuff, and now he picks it back up in chapter 3, and the title of the message today is, I Choose Hope. Can I say, say it with me? I choose hope. I choose hope. And this hope, Paul's going to say, is a safeguard for you. When you choose hope, there's a safeguard, and it's going to help you, and we're going to look at it today. Now, when I think about it, when I was writing this throughout the week, I was asking myself, so I was really like pastoring myself before I began to pastor you, is how do you choose joy? And how do you choose hope? What does that look like? And as I begin to process hope today, I really want to share a few thoughts. I don't want to teach long. I, I don't want to abuse our time, but I want us to get into the Word. Are you ready to get into the Word? Paul starts in Philippians 3, 1 by saying, rejoice in the Lord. What he's saying is, listen, there's an abiding joy that you can abide in. An abiding joy is that there is something within you, regardless of the circumstances, 
No matter what happens, there is a joy in your heart. And when there's a joy in your heart, you will rejoice always. Let me flip it around. If you rejoice always, there will be a joy in your heart. You see, the one that's constantly rejoicing in the Lord, this is what I know, they will not go astray. The one that's rejoicing in the Lord will have a joy in their heart that will anchor them down to Jesus. We say, I want Jesus, I want him. Paul's gonna say, I wanna know him, I want Jesus. And how does that come? Is there's a joy that's anchored and that joy comes from rejoicing in the Lord. Yes, you're going to face circumstances. We're going to see it around it. We're going to have it. Paul's going to deal with, in verse 2 and 3, he's going to deal with false teachers. He's going to talk about those that are opposing the gospel. He's going to talk about a few things. And the reality is, Paul would remind us from chapter 1, is regardless of what happens, temptations you may face, maybe criminal activities that are happening, Maybe accidents or disease or health or death, whatever may happen. Paul is saying, I've got to make a determination because of a hope that I have that I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Now today, I just want to keep coming back. I choose joy and that joy leads me to rejoice in the Lord. It's the action of what I found. What I found in Christ leads me to do something and that is to rejoice. Why? Because we know who we are. Rejoicing and knowing that God has my life in his hands. He's got everything within his control. And I rejoice in the Lord at all times because I know who he is. So where does it start? If I choose joy and if I am going to choose hope that comes out of my joy because I'm rejoicing, is I've got to find that hope. I must know what abiding hope is. The definition of hope, if I would give it to you, is this. It's the mental, the mental and the emotional outlook that life is good. The future is promising and progress is certain. That the outlook, mental and emotional outlook of life is good. The future is promising and progress is certain even in the midst of difficult circumstances and challenging relationships. But the problem for many, you and I can get caught into this as well, is for them, hope really is in what's happening externally and not just the emotional assurance internally. They're looking for results of success and fame and wealth and, and all of these things. But the problem is, is that will prove futile if we chase those things. We will come to a point where there is an end to chasing that. But when we seek hope that is in a person and that person is Jesus Christ, then we know that there is something that's anchored within our heart that will hold us no matter what happens around us. But for many, they're finding and they're trying to find and they're seeking for hope maybe in a relationship or maybe in a person. And in that relationship, when it proves painful or disappointing, then they lose their joy. And they begin to ask, is there really hope and joy? And so Paul is going to begin now to use a personal illustration. He's going to get vulnerable, but not only is he going to get vulnerable, but he's going to speak to his listeners... He's going to speak to the church of Philippi and, and he's going to speak in a way that they would relate to immediately. And he's going to begin to say, listen, I put my hope in something that was false. It wasn't a true hope, it was a false hope. And God intersected my life and changed my life. And Paul is going to help us to see he's thankful that God intersected his life because he had his hopes in the wrong thing. Look with me in verse three. If we're going to find hope, we got to know where our hope is. And in verse 3, Paul would say this. Chapter 3, verse 3. For it, is, for it is we who are the circumcision. By the way, in, in our day and time, that would mean Paul was saying, we who are believers, the circumcision, the, the, the followers of Christ, who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who, who what? Who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence. 
So he's getting ready to say, listen, if anybody could boast, it's me. I preached when I was a young chaplain in the military. Throw away your OER, your resume. Throw away all these things that you think are your accomplishments and your accolades and your degrees and everything that this world would say is a success. Paul is saying, I threw it away. If I had reason for confidence, anybody could have it, it would be me. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I had more. I had more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now he's going to start walking through everything that his listener, after we're done reading this, the listeners of that day in the first century would have went, wow, that's pretty impressive. That's what Paul was saying. Look, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. Man, he's laying it up. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I was pure. I was a pure Hebrew in regard to the law. I kept the law. I was a Pharisee. In fact, he goes on to say, I was zealous. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. I came against those that were coming against our Jewish faith. As for legalistic righteousness, I was what? Faultless. Goes on to say, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, his listener of the day would have went, whoa. You're saying that's all worthless, that's all nothing. You, you consider it worth nothing. But he's saying, oh, it's for the sake of cross, the cry, uh, Christ that I c- consider it worthless. He goes on to say this. What is more than that, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. He is my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them rubbish. Now, that's a kind word. That's a gentle word. The really the original word for that in the Greek is a much harder word. But he's saying it's rubbish. It's garbage. It's, it's manure. It's no good is what the Greek would say. But it is my gain in Christ that I may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which I do, the rules, the regulations, the truth, but that which is through faith in Christ. And it's the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Can I hear an amen for a moment? What he says is, listen, just to break it down, he says, he's Paul saying, listen to his readers. He's saying, I had this false hope. I came from a certain race. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I had the best education for position I was a Pharisee. In fact, in Romans, he calls himself the chief of Pharisees. He was on his way to be the high priest. He had the best position that someone could have. Paul was the type that you would have referred to him when you were trying to correct your children. Why can't you be like Paul? Why why can't you just be like them? Why, Why can't you do? I mean, he said, I was perfection. He says, standing for the faith of the Jewish belief, I was a persecutor of the church. Like I said, in the first century, they would have went, wow, that's pretty impressive. Paul was saying, listen, if anybody had right to to have confidence, I had it. But it was a false hope because it was in the wrong things. He says, it's garbage. It's all garbage. Until I had the divine righteousness of God, there was nothing of value in these things. And Paul was speaking from experience. He's going to make the contrast that the contrast is that you've got to have a true hope and that true hope is an authentic love, agape love, a love for God and a love for others. There's an inward joy and there's a peace and a purpose that's in our heart and our life that there is something that's really there and it determines who we really are because of what Christ has done in us. Now for Paul, man, This was an experience that changed his life. He was on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute the church. Acts chapter 9 is the story. And as he's going, he has this encounter with God. And man, encounters with God changes everything in our life. Can I just get an agreement? When God intersects your life, he takes control. And all of a sudden, what Paul was putting his hope in, he began to realize was a false hope. And there was a true hope. And that was in Jesus Christ. 
See, external hope, false hope, it's external. It's what's happening around. But true hope, it's internal. It's what God begins to do in my life and in your life when God intersects our life. And thank God for these moments where he intersects our life. False hope, Paul says, was about rules. It was about tradition. It was about status and success and what the world deemed as important. But true hope, man, it's the grace of God. It's who I am in God. It's what God has done for me. Now, it doesn't remove my obedience. It doesn't remove my pursuit of becoming more like Christ. But I've got to realize at the end of the day, I don't do what I do to be accepted by God. I'm already loved by God. I do what I do because I want to be more like God. And I want to continue to be in his presence. And sin separates me from God. And that's why I do what I do. But he loves you no more than he already loves you. When you realize the love and the grace of God and he intersects into your life and says you're chasing the wrong thing, you're putting your hope in the wrong thing, you've got to put your hope in God and that will give you an internal peace and that peace will pass all understanding. You see, we're not much different than Paul, are we? We put our confidence in ourselves. We put our confidence in our own pride. We put our confidence in what we've done and what we're doing. And even as believers, let's be honest, we get caught there. And Paul would show us here in Philippians 3 that our confidence has got to be in Christ. That we would know him. Paul's passion was to know Christ, to experience him, to allow his transforming power to work in his life. And when you look at the life of Paul and the readings of Paul and the writings of Paul, you look at one who never lost his first love, who was always passionate for Christ and for the ways of Christ, who sacrificed everything for him and ran after the will of God to know the purposes of God so that he could be accepted by God on that day of glory. In fact, in verse 7, it says this. Go back to verse 7. But whatever was to my profit... What is he saying? I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Man, whatever it was that I would say puffed me up or, or, or gave me this status, now I consider loss. It's nothing because now the most important thing is Christ. When you look at Paul's life, you see one that was strong in the faith. If I admire Paul for anything, it's the strength of his faith. It's the strength of his faith in adversity. If there's anything about Paul that I admire is that it was to fulfill the work of God, the will of God, the ways of God. He gave everything to expand the kingdom of God. He gave his life and there was a passion for that deep within him. When you look at Paul, he was led by the spirits. I mean, even one that was focused and he was concentrated on that which God wanted. He knew, he understood what God wanted. Why? Because he had found a hope and that hope was not based on false truths, but it was on an eternal truth. And that truth was an authentic love for who God was. And that's why in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Now we've been singing it. I, I want to know Jesus. I want Christ. I want him. I want more of him. But that's what Paul was saying. So to find hope, you got to know Christ. When you find Christ, you begin to realize. And if I could take for a moment just a reminder to you and I what it means to be a Christ follower. A Christ follower realizes that he was sent Christ was the son of God and he was sent by God to earth. He gave his life so that you and I could find life, life abundantly. He died on a cross for you and I. And the reason he died is because sin needed to be paid for. There was a penalty for sin and there was a condemnation against me and against you. And it was only Christ that could take that condemnation away. So he willingly allowed himself to come out of the presence of God, the, the trinity of the holiness of the, of the Godhead, and to come to earth and to walk this earth like you and I are walking for one pur purpose, and that was to defeat sin. 
sin, the guilt, the shame that's over every single one of us was defeated when Christ gave his life on the cross. And when he gave his life, Christ gave his life on the cross, he did it for you and he did it for me. And that's how we find forgiveness of sin. See, where does it start for you and I? Is that we find hope by realizing we need a savior because we cannot save ourselves. And so Jesus came to be, most of all, your savior so that you could find peace with God. Can I just hear an amen? Don't forget, as simple as it is, that's the root of being a Christ follower. That you're living your life for Christ because Christ provided a way for you to be forgiven of your sin, for guilt to be removed, shame to be removed, condemnation to be removed. And now you can have a relationship with a God that desires a relationship with you. He's not far and distant. He wants to be close and near and have an intimate relationship with you and I. And Paul says, I want that. I want to know Christ. I want to know his ways. I want to know his relationship in an intimate way. I want Christ. I want him. And that really leads us to the next thought that Paul would show us. Now remember, he's writing from a prison cell. Remember that in that prison, he's chained to a guard. 24 hours a day for two years, he's chained to a guard, no privacy. Every four hours, he would have gotten a different guard. And not only was he going through difficulty, but the church in Philippi that he's writing to was also going through difficulty. So in his own situation, and by the way, God will take your pain of your past He'll take your experiences. He'll take the the flaws and the struggles and the weaknesses and, and all of those things. And if you will give it to God, he will redeem it when you surrender it to him. And he'll transform it into a testimony that becomes the greatest ministry you may ever have in your life. That's what God does. And there he is in that prison cell. And as he's sitting there, you know what he's doing is he's thinking back to when he was in Philippi. And in those moments, look here in this next verse, Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. And man, all week long, I just, man, I just, I just feasted on this next word. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience. I don't want it just to be a head knowledge. I don't want to just know about him. I don't want to just believe what mom and dad believe or, 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 or what somebody else has told me to believe. I want to experience. I want to experience. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Think about that. The power that raised Christ from the dead work of the Holy Spirit, the the anointing. You can hear the depth of his cry. He says, I want to know him. I want to experience him. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Now, few of us would say that. I want his power. I want his anointing. I want the spirit. I want the blessings. Few of us are praying for the suffering. But Paul says, man, I want to experience the suffering as well. Why? Because when I experience the suffering, the sharing of his death, he goes on to say that when I do, that will be one way or another. That There's the word again. What word is it? Circle it. One way or another, I'm going to do what? Experience. What am I going to experience? The resurrection from the dead. So Paul is saying, listen, when you find hope, when you come to know Christ and you find hope, he is the true hope of glory. He says progressively, something will happen. I watch it. I see it as a pastor. When you find, you really find him. Today, I believe it was Candy brought the altar here. And I don't don't know if the, the cameras will be able to get on it, but the altar that says souls on it. And we're believing that lives are going to be changed and transformed. When you find Christ at an altar like this or or an altar in our homes or on our knees or in a prayer class, when you find him 
and you get to know him, there is something progressively that begins to happen to you. And Paul says, he says, I want to experience the power that rose Christ from the dead. What is that experience? It's it's an experience of the power of God in my own weakness. What I want to experience is I want to experience the anointing of the Holy Spirit that in my moments of temptation, that I see the way of escape. In my areas of weakness, in my struggles, in my frustrations, in those times that I don't even do what I should do and I don't do what I know I ought to do and I, and I actually do the very opposite of what I want to do. Anybody else agree out there? You know what I'm talking about. And in that, in those moments, there is a power of the Holy Spirit that helps me in my weakness, in trials and temptations, that I begin to know that he is there. In those moments where I'm breaking chains and bondages and habits in my life, that I know there's a power of the Holy Spirit that breaks the power of sin over my life. There's a power that transforms me and conforms me and enables me. You see, my problem, and maybe it's yours too, is not that I need to know more. I know enough. My problem is doing the will of God. My problem is living a life of discipline and obedience. Don't look at me like I'm some lion in the den of Daniels out here. I think it's all of our problems. The reality is there's something within us that says, God, I want the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. Paul says, that's what I want to know. I want to know him and experience his power in my weakness. Paul is our writer. Let me take you to two other books where he talks about this. He talks about it over in the book of Romans. Chapter 8, verse 11 The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead does what? Lives in you. When you find Jesus, you find hope, and now his presence is in you, me. It's in us. He lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So you know what I pray for in this moment of experience his power and my weakness is I'm praying, God, let me be in step with the Spirit. Let me walk with the Spirit. Let me hear the Spirit. Let me, let me be willing to cooperate with the Spirit. Help my logic to get out of the way. Help me, Father, where it doesn't make sense, where the world says one thing and you are saying another. Help me, God, in the tension of those moments. Help me. To let your power be at work within me. He said it this way to the church in Corinth. Same writer, Paul, talking to three different churches. In the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, to the church of Corinth, he says, he says, each time he said, God said, my grace is all you need. It's, It's when Paul was talking about, man, I had this weakness. We don't know what it was. But there was a thorn in his flesh and I wanted to get rid of it. And I was praying, God, help me, deliver me, set me free, take it away. And God said to him, my grace is all you need. Now in that moment, I'd be saying, God, I know your grace is all I need, but will you take it away? Can you still remove it? Will you remove me? Will you change it? But God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. He goes on to say, so now I am glad, Paul says, I'm glad to boast about what? About my weakness. Now over in Philippians, he says, listen, if anybody had right to boast, it was me. But now I'm boasting about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now there's a lot there. I don't have time to unpack it. My time's running out. But Paul's saying, listen, when When you let pride get in the way, his power cannot work in your life. When you want to boast and you want to take credit and you want to put out there all that that you are, 
His power is not going to be able to empower you, walk in, work in you, and his grace is not going to be able to be released to you. Why? Because bl- your pride is blocking his grace. And man, oh man, oh, it's so deep. Can you handle this? Okay, not, not everybody can handle this. Verse 10. That's why I take pleasure. <laughs> I can't even believe he's saying it. I mean... Can you imagine? You're praying this. You know, God, I take pleasure in my weakness. I take pleasure in this. No, I can't even imagine he's saying it. I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults. So the next time you get insulted, <laughs> I choose hope. Just walk away. Just well, I choose hope. I choose hope. I, I, I choose joy. I, I choose hope. I, I, I take pleasure in my hardship. Things are going rough. Circumstances aren't right. Things are not going the way they're supposed to. I choose joy. I choose hope. I'm going to experience his power. I'm going to experience his work. He's going to move in me. I choose it. I choose it in persecution. I choose it in trouble. That I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. I experience him. His power in my weakness. But also, can I tell you that you will experience his, pre- his, his, his presence in your pain. When you're lonely, when you're broken, when you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're walking through difficulty. Single mom, he sees you. He sees you. Dad, he sees you. He sees the struggle. He sees what you're trying to do. He sees you. In your pain, relationships are broken. Things are not going the way they're supposed to go. He sees you in your pain, and you can experience his presence. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But this precious treasure, the, pre- the, the precious treasure, if you're a note taker, you may want to underline it, is the very sustaining grace of God. This this precious treasure, the light and the power that can now shine within us is held in a perishable container. That's you and me. That is in our weak bodies. He puts his glory and his presence within us. We get his presence in our pain. He goes on to say, everyone can see that the glorious power within must be from God and it's not our own. He goes on to say, we are pressed on every side, every side by troubles, but we are not what? Crushed. We're broken, but we are not perplexed. Why? Because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and we don't quit. Hallelujah. We are hunted down, but God, there you go, Nadine, but God, She's over there. We are hunted down, but God never abandoned us. We are knocked down, but we what, church? We get up again and again, and we keep on going. I love this passage. These bodies of ours are constantly facing death, just as Jesus did. So it is clear that to all that it is the only, the living Christ within us, who keeps you and I safe. The last part of this verse says, yes. Say it with me, yes. Say it again, yes. We live under constant danger to our lives because we serve the Lord. But this gives us constant opportunities to show forth the power of Christ within our dying bodies. Because of our preaching, we face death. But there is an eternal life, he's going to say. And that life is a life that will lead for all of eternity for you and me. I love this passage. You're ridiculed, it's okay. God is not going to forsake you. You're slandered, it's okay. God's not abandoning you. You've been abused, that's okay. God's coming to rescue you. You're isolated, criticized. He's not leaving you. You will not be destroyed. Hallelujah. We experience him. We experience him in our weakness. We experience him in our pain. And we can experience the promise 
the promise that one day he's coming back to receive us unto himself. In my final moments, I'm going to invite our band to come back. Paul is going to wrap this up by saying, listen, because you find him and you experience him, now you've got to continue to pursue him. You pursue hope. You press on. It's a work of sanctification in your life. You continue to allow that work to take place. And this is a sermon, by the way, of itself, this next section. And I love it because Paul really helps us to understand a process of sanctification. And he says in verse 12, Philippians chapter 3, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. He said, but I press on. Say, press on. I press on to possess the purification. What is that? Perfection. Purification is a work of sanctification. It's walking out obedience. It's working out the will of God. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. Looking and seeking and, and understanding that there's things that have to be broken in my life. There's things that have to be surrendered in my life. It's a process of evaluation. And that's what Paul says. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first, he's talking about where he found hope. Jesus first possessed me. He goes on to say, dear brothers, he's, walk, he's talking to the church of Philippi. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us let all who are spiritually mature agree you're a note taker you got to underline that circle it you're spiritually mature agree on these things if you disagree on some point i love this i believe god will make it plain to you <laughs> paul says you're wrong and i'm praying god's going to make it clear to you but we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. Paul says, listen, the result of knowing Christ, finding Christ, is that you begin to experience Christ. When you really experience Christ, what happens is that there is a determination within you that you're going to pursue Him. Pursuing Him is working it out. It's a process of sanctification. The result... It's going to be spiritual maturity. There's going to be transformation of the spirit. You're going to begin to grow in the image of God. That passionate pursuit of becoming more like Christ will mean that your nature is being transformed. It'll mean that your character is being changed. It'll mean that your attitudes begin to be submitted. Your actions begin to come into alignment with what? The will of God, the plan of God, the nature of Christ. Spiritual maturity doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It means that I'm pursuing that moment that I'm going to be with him in glory. Paul said in verse 12, if we went back in verse 12, he says there, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but he says, I press on. That word in the Greek is that there is a pushing, there is a pressing, there is something that's happening that you're pushing and pressing. And let's be honest, that's the walk of the Christian life. Am I right? You find hope, you're experiencing hope, but let's be honest, it's pursuing that hope. It's pressing on, it's pushing, it's determining that I'm gonna live for him and walk with him and be everything that he wants me to be. And so Paul is taking a moment of evaluation. And can I be honest, this week, we have to do evaluation. We've gotta become aware of where we need him, our strengths, our weaknesses. We gotta be transparent. See, spiritual maturity doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It has nothing to do with my age. It has everything to do with my obedience. 
I pursue the hope. Spiritual maturity does mean that you and I have a passionate longing to know Him, to become like Him, to be yielded to Him, that I'm pursuing Him. There's a transparency that's got to take place. In verse 13, if I go back, he says this. In verse 13, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. What is it? I forget the past and I look to what lies ahead. It's the hope of glory. And I press on. I run the race. I'm reaching for it. I want to receive a heavenly prize. And it's in Christ Jesus. You see, when you begin to evaluate, you got to then eliminate. What are some things that's got to be eliminated? What do you need to forget in the past? What do you got to let go of? What guilt is weighing you down? What shame are you carrying around? What do you got to let go because it's affecting you? You know what I've learned in my own life is I've got to forget two things in my life. I've got to forget my failures. After I've repented over them and I've worked them over and I've allowed the Lord to begin to work in me, I've got to let it go. And I've got to move on to what God has for me. There's been times I look back to things I've said, things I've done, and I'm just, I just shake my head. Anybody else? I mean, I just, it's like you, uh, you said that? That's where I usually get myself in trouble because I'm always like right here in a spotlight, you know, and it's, it's what I say, you know? And it's like, oh Lord. You get into a heated argument. You know inside you shouldn't say it. And then what happens? You say it. It's like, why did I say that? I got to learn to forget my failures. But I think Paul is reminding us there's something else you've got to forget. In this chapter, you got to forget your successes. You got to forget the accolades. You got to forget everything that you could take pride in. Why? Because that pride will block the grace of God. Spiritual maturity is a process. I'm pursuing him. What does it mean? Once again, I want to make sure you get it. You're pursuing to be more like him. Your character, your ways, your actions, your thoughts. You are a reflection of the glory of God. I love Paul says, I press on. There's a focus. There's a concentration. There's a determination. I'm going to run my race because my race is leading me heavenward. It's leading me to an eternal hope. And that hope is the hope of glory. In fact, the word press has I overextend myself to push to be like Jesus Christ. I don't want to be complacent. I don't, I don't want to be in a place that I get apathetic man in every worship service I press myself I push to touch him I push to be with him in my daily devotions I push to abide with him to get into the word why I want to be with him I want to be like him I want to walk with him I want to know him and so Paul's plea is to live out your hope every day look at verse 17 and I finish here verse 17 he says every day join with others join with one another in following my what example and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you he says listen don't do it alone don't walk alone you need one another now he's in prison writing to the church of Philippi that was going through a tough time and he's saying guys you need one another there's a hope and when you find that hope you're going to experience something in that hope and that is going to pursue you and push you to pursue something but don't forget that you got to live it out every day and see others that are doing the same for I have often said and I've told you before and now I say it again with tears Many live as enemies of the cross. They live hypocritical. Remember, he started up in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, talking about those that oppose the work of the cross. He 
says many have a false hope that leads to tragedy. Their hope is in things of this world, accolades, positions, materialism, all of these things of the world will lead to tragedy if that's where we put our hope. But in verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, man, I, I know I've gone over, but he's writing to the church of Philippi. Philippi is in Macedonia region. But Philippi was actually a colony of Rome. They dressed like the Romans. They lived like the Romans. They talked the language of the Romans. They lived by the laws of the Romans. They just were not in it was a colony. Some of you understand this. You, you come from nations where, where they were colonized. And, and I was in Carousel recently, and everybody was speaking Dutch. It was down in, was down in the Caribbean, over next to Mexico, and, and over there. And, and they were a colony. Well, here, Philippi is a colony of Rome. And so they would have understood that even though we're not in Rome, we have citizenship of the Romans. We talk like them. We have their language. We dress like them, but we're not there. And so Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. We're not there yet. And they would have understood his illustration. We're not there yet, but we're eagerly awaiting our Savior who's going to come from there. And his name is what? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he has the power that enables to bring everything under his control and will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What Paul wraps this up with is that true hope will bring transformation. Your transformation is the hope of glory. Can I hear an amen? You're not there yet. You're still here, but your citizenship is there. And therefore, Paul is going to wrap it up by saying, listen, you're a part of God's kingdom. Live like it. Speak like it. Walk like it. Let your walk be your talk and your talk be your walk. Why? Your citizenship is there. When you embrace it, man, there is a hope that rises up within you, that drives you, and you can say, I choose hope. Say it with me, I choose hope. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. It's anointed. I thank you, oh God, that through the power of your word, we are trained. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.